Hey there, this is Story Story Late Night, the positively shameless black sheep of our Story Story Night family, where you hear bleep-worthy stories as we look over that white picket fence to consider the American dreams. Our unblushing theme this month is marriage. As this show is recorded during Pride Month, we are featuring stories from the LGBTQIA community united with a community story slam. Wedding gifts may be sent by texting the code STORYPOD to 44321. I'm Artistic Director Jody Eichelberger. Now we fully commit with our host Beth Norton and our featured storytellers Elizabeth Sonnerson and Michael Zabel. Till death do us part, it's Late Night Stories. Welcome back, Story Story Late Night. First show of the season, 2023. Keep that clap going if you are a story subscriber. Awesome, nice, that number's growing. I think when I first used to ask that, we'd get just a couple claps, so it's definitely growing. Um, That's awesome, thank you for being continued supporters. Clap if it's your first time to Story Story Night. Wow. Welcome. Um, thank you for being here. So, and you, sir. Cool. <laughs> you guys, oh, okay. <laughs> he raised his hand. <laughs> um, well, so for those of you who it's your first time, how this works um, is we have tonight, we have two featured storytellers. So those are um, people who have worked on their stories with myself and Jody, our artistic director. Um, and those are going to be a little bit longer, 10 to 12 minutes. And intermixed into that, we also do a story slam. So these are spontaneous stories um, pulled at random um, from Natalia's hat over there. And um, anybody here can put their name in the hat to tell a five-minute story on the theme. The theme tonight is marriage. Let me get some booze. Do we? <laughs> yeah. Um, and marriage in the context of an American dream, which is the summer season. Um, I chose this theme because um, I think for me, as well as a lot of people, um, some of the American dreams have been a bit elusive. <laughs> um, and, um, and also, um, some seem very much out of reach, and others, um, you know, I've attained but have been hard fought and won. So it feels like there's a lot here to dive into, and I'm really excited for the summer. So thank you for going along on this journey with us. And um, as you're sitting here, if you're thinking of your five-minute story on marriage, at any time you can go up to the Story Slammer booth and put your name in the hat. Um, Tonight, um, in honor of Pride Month, we are focusing on the LGBTQIA community and we are centering stories of gay marriage. So, yeah. So both of our featured storytellers are coming from that community and from that perspective. Um, Again, if there's anybody from the LGBTQ community out there, please, please put your name in the hat and tell your story, but straighties can do it too, so. (laughs) So don't worry about that. Um, my name is Beth Norton. I, I, <laughs> I got heckled, I think, at the last couple shows that I needed to introduce myself, so hi. My name is Beth Norton. I am the host and director of Story Story Late Night. I feel very proud um, to be here, and I'm just going to kick it off with my, my own little story. Is that, is that okay? Are you okay with that? We all know where the bathrooms are, right? 
Okay, out there, past the prison on the left. Okay, cool. Third stairwell on the left. I'm gonna trust you on that. <laughs> um, it's, it's appropriate that we're in a prison for the theme marriage, don't you think? <laughs> I'm not married, but that's what I've heard. Um, we were thinking about doing the theme, uh, a child theme, which also would have been fitting, I think, for the venue. Um, um, but as I was thinking about this and, and pre preparing my story, I, uh, my mind first went to my like biggest near miss of a marriage and that um, saga. And there's some funny parts in that. Um, but um, as I, as the show was getting a little bit closer, um, I started to think a little bit more deeply and a little bit more forward instead of backward. And also, um, Jody really wanted a metaphorical <laughs> marriage, and metaphor is really all I got. So, um, so I'm gonna tell a metaphorical story of marriage. Um, so um, I've been doing stand-up comedy. I started stand-up comedy in 2014, like about nine years ago, and um, it was really the first time that I felt um, really connected to a larger community and I felt seen, um, and it felt so good to make people laugh. And I've been doing it ever since, um, despite um, how awful it is most of the time, <laughs> and hard, and, and, and the pandemic, coming back from the pandemic um, was difficult, but I stuck with it. Um, but before comedy even, I found storytelling. Um, and storytelling had an almost bigger impression on me. Um, and so these are things that I have um, brought into my life and I know like they're not going anywhere. This is something that I, I wanna do for as long as humanly possible because I love it and I love the, the connection that it brings. Um, I also have, um, because I spent like 14 years of my childhood in foster care, I know very well um, the consequences of failed public systems. And um, that's also left this burning desire in me to change them. And so I've done a lot on that front. I've gotten a master's degree in public administration and I tried to get jobs in government and it didn't quite work. But um, <laughs> I follow politics, um, I vote um, and uh, educate myself on that. And I try to educate um, other people in conversations and things like that whenever I can. Um, no uh, answers on how to change the foster care system yet, but if anybody has <laughs> any ins, let me know. Um, happy to, to talk about that. Um, but I had this experience recently where those two worlds, the political advocacy and the comedy and storytelling um, came together. They got kind of married and it happened at City Hall um, over a planning and zoning testament <laughs> hearing. <laughs> Um, which happened a couple months ago. Have you guys heard of the, clap if you've heard of the rezone that's happening in, um, it's proposed to happen, okay. Um, so I work in refugee resettlement, now I do events, and in the refugee resettlement um, world right now, it's, it's really difficult um, to get people resettled into their new life because of the housing crisis that we're facing. And so anybody that works in resettlement is very, um, very much in support of this rezone um, because we're bringing people here from other countries who've been living in you know, refugee camps for decades um, who are escaping war and persecution um, and we have to put them up in hotels. 
um, which sucks. Um, we uh, in America like pride ourselves on being this safe place um, for people, and um, that's just written into our fabric uh, as a country. And so, um, to know that like that process is up against this housing crisis is um, is especially immediate for for our work. Um, so I was encouraged via my work to uh, testify at this planning and zoning hearing in support of the new modern zoning code. Um, but I realized that I was getting on a microphone, and I can't just get on a microphone and repeat talking points. Um, that's not really my style. So uh, I took some time and I wrote out a testimony in support um, in the bringing of my two worlds together. Would you guys like to hear? Yeah. Would you guys like to hear my testimony? <laughs> Thank you, commissioners. Um, <laughs> My name is Beth Norton. I live at 617 South 13th Street, um, and I am here to testify in support of the Modern Zoning Code. Um, I um, am a performer. I am a producer of shows. I generate income for local venues. I work full-time at a nonprofit, and once every year I volunteer on a trail work trip through the Idaho Trails Association doing hard manual labor to preserve access to Idaho's outdoors. Um, so yeah, thank you. And um, all that to say, I work really hard and I bring a lot of really great things to my community. And the only reason why I've been able to stay in Boise for as long as I've been able to is because four years ago, I lucked into an affordable rental. Um, my apartment, four-story apartment building is in a mixed zoning district. So we have businesses, we have um, two homeless shelters, uh, we have uh, plenty of other apartment buildings, um, the street right next to my apartment building has become a parking, um, a parking place for people living in their motor homes. And I know for a lot of people at the Modern Zoning Code hearing, that is like a worst nightmare situation. <laughs> but actually, it's fine. Um, we live and we let each other live. A lot of my neighbors are older, they are retired on fixed incomes, they have disabilities. Um, and I honestly lose most of my neighbors um, to old age and to, to passing away. And we look out for each other. We have a bench in our lobby where people put things that they don't want. Um, I have enough yarn to knit clothes for the rest of the year, should I ever learn how. <laughs> we help each other if we, um, if we need help. I once helped my, my elderly neighbor find his wallet. It was in his pocket. And, um, you know, like the other day I saw one of my neighbors, she always walks her pugs, she has two pugs, she walks them separately. Um, <laughs> and I saw the pug just on her little red leash, just doing the loop around the block. And I was like, hold on. And, you know, like myself and another person who was living on 14th Street in a motorhome, like got the pug, found the lady, and um, all is well. So all that to say that like, like we're good neighbors. And, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people, I'll hear a lot of people coming out, um, you know, it sounds like with some fear about having renters in their neighborhood or having affordable housing in their neighborhood, and so I wanted to speak from that perspective. Um, and I got some laughs, it was great. Um, my, um, my mic drop moment was at the end, and I'm sorry if any of you here believe this, but a, a big fear that I'm hearing um, against the zoning code is that um, people are afraid that it will change the character of their neighborhoods, and to that um, I said, um, Good, it sounds like those people need it. <laughs> Thank you.
so this was great. It was a little nerve-wracking to do, um, and um, um, but I left there uh, feeling good, like I had spoken up for myself and my neighbors against um, like you know some some negative rhetoric that I had heard, and uh, supported this thing, which I think could bring more housing and um, you know better access to public transportation by beefing up on those lines, and really for me like give me the opportunity to look toward a new dream of my own, because I don't think I'm ever going to be able to afford a single home, nor do I want a single family home, but to live in like a duplex or a fourplex, like with my friends and my community, like that's a new kind of dream. Um, it's not like a, it's not less of a dream than this other dream, right? That, it's a new kind of a dream, and for me it's, it's mine, and I want those options. And so that's why I, I support that, I'd like to stay. Um, after this, I got reached out on LinkedIn by a commissioner who was like, I couldn't applaud, but I wanted to applaud. Um, I got offered a, a seat on the new Boise Downtown um, Neighborhood Association, which I'm really on the fence about neighborhood associations, but <laughs> I might check that one out. Um, and I also got reached out to by conservation voters of Idaho. So in this beautiful way, um, um, I had, so I was doing a, I put on a three-night comedy festival uh, a couple weeks ago at the VAC, and um, it's kind of my baby, it's kind of the biggest thing I ever did. We had burlesque and stand-up comedy and like a spoof of a comedy competition, it was really fun. Um, but I was kind of doing it on my own, and I didn't get, really get any sponsorships, but here comes Conservation Voters of Idaho in the last minute, um, coming in with a sponsorship, um, and they really helped float my show. Um, and, and for that, I got to also advocate for the um, zoning code at that show, which felt really good. So that is my marriage, and now I'm doing it right now as well <laughs> between my advocacy, my stand-up, and my storytelling. So thank you. Um, so not gay, um, but... <laughs> um, but kind of, um, are we ready for our first story slammer? Yeah? Uh-oh, can I get the hat? Oh, there you, okay, there you are. Can I get the hat? <laughs> Gigi, wait, um, if somebody else could come put their name in the hat, that would be awesome before Gigi's done. Gigi Huntley? Not my first time. <laughs> I was a featured story storyteller in 2021. Um, I'm going to tell a story about marriage, my parents' marriage. It has a happy ending, sort of. They're still married anyway. <laughs> so my dad enlisted in the Air Force to avoid the draft and met my mom on Clark Air Force Base in the Philippines. And two years later, they were married because I was already on my way, which is fine. <laughs> I've always been in a hurry, so whatever. Um, after Vietnam ended, my dad moved us back to his hometown, or at least where he graduated from high school, because he's actually from this tiny place called Ash Creek, California. But he brought us home to Wairika, which is where I grew up. 
right on the Oregon border, close to Ashland, Oregon. Pretty cool place, except for that where I grew up was super red, and my mom looked Vietnamese. We are not, but when it's post-Vietnam, people assume things. And it was hard for her. My dad took a job as a long-haul trucker, and she had to raise two kids that she probably should never have had. But it's okay, because, well, I turned out okay. I don't know where my brother is, so. Um, it was tough, though, for both of them. My dad was really young, and he had never, I mean, other than like Native Americans and Mexicans, he'd never been around people who were brown, and he married one, and didn't have any expectation that it would be different than marrying anyone else, I think. My mom had always intended to marry an American, so she purposely set herself in places where she would meet them, so it's whatever. But she was surprised that it was not an Elvis Presley movie, and nobody danced and sang in the grocery store, and we did not drive cool cars and all of that. And it was kind of a surprise for her, I think, and it was definitely a surprise for me, you know, because yay, thanks for getting married. When I was 12, I told them to get divorced. My dad cried, and my mom called me a bitch. So whatever. <laughs> like I said, they're still married. It's been really hard, though. Um, when I was younger, I was in charge of my mom and my younger brother. They're both schizophrenic. Um, my dad took a job as a long-haul trucker, like I said, so that he could get away. And that was hard. And I found ways to escape work. I learned how to read at three so I could spend all my time at the library. And I was gone as much as I could be. I did everything. I was Susie High School. I was cheerleader, editor of the paper. I did theater. You name it, I did it to get away. And I watched my parents' marriage and thought, this is what it is, which is why I've been married three times. And thank you for upholding my traditional marriages. Yay. Um, oh, and I promised Kat I would send out a, hey, she's looking for a wife. <laughs> to go with the pride theme. Anyway, she's the gorgeous blonde back there from the Bay Area with the hat. She's very nice. My husband that I'm married to now was in love with her first, but she was gay, so I got him. <laughs> so thanks, Kat. Appreciate it. But because of him, we're friends, and I get to spend more time with her than he does. Um, back to my parents, though. My dad, it's rough now. My mom is schizophrenic and she also has dementia, but he's still there. And I think that that's kind of an amazing thing to, I mean, he apologizes a lot for my childhood, for leaving me there and, and for, you know, I had to prolong college and all of these things to help out. And I watched their marriage and it really did, I think, affect how I viewed marriage. I thought I was supposed to like save people, rescue people, fix people. Turns out that's not what marriage is. It's a partnership, and it's finding the right person. And when you're mad, it's trying to find growth together. And I finally found that person. He's also been married three times, so we don't have to argue about that, at least, because the last husband, whew. Um, but I think that so many of us were allies when everybody was fighting for their right to marry. and. I have friends who had been together since the mid-90s, and that was the best wedding I've ever been to. And so I think that if people are in love, let's just let them be in love. And it's work. It's, it's work no matter what. And I think that we're going to hear some good stuff tonight, so I'm looking forward to it. And uh, thanks for coming in tonight.
All right, so Gigi has set the bar at three marriages, all right? It's pretty solid. Um, if anybody can top Gigi, in fact, whoever, is the mo whoever comes up here and tells a story ab about the most marriages they've ever had is gonna win a drink token. <laughs> Which you can redeem at the next Story Story Night. Or just keep, it's really cute. It says Story Story Night on it, and it, uh, it says freedom <laughs> on the back, so it's appropriate. Do we have another slammer in there? Sweet. Who is it? They know who, who put their name in there. <laughs> is it just one ticket? Okay, hold on. Yeah, there you go, come on up, it's me. What's her name? Katie F, everybody welcome Katie F. So I think about this a lot. There are a lot of things I don't understand that I'm okay with not understanding, like ghosts. Maybe they're real, maybe they're not. God, does he, she, they exist? I have no idea, I'm okay with it. One thing I really don't understand though is why everybody is so committed to this idea of marriage. And maybe that's because of my own experience, but I don't know very many happy ones. And I don't know of very many successful ones. People either end in divorce or they're married, and from my perspective, not very happy. But let me back up a little bit. I grew up LDS, for those of you who don't know, Mormon, in a very abnormally normal, loving home, which is kind of weird, right? I didn't know that at the time. I thought it was pretty normal. I had these two parents who may be one of the very few successful marriages that I know of as an adult. Two people who loved and cared for each other, who supported each other. When my mom wanted to do something like ride her bicycle up to Idaho City, my dad said, okay, make sure you wear a helmet. If my mom wanted to start a new business, my dad said, all right, I'm here for you. When my dad started his business, my mom said, Ken, I know you can do it. This is the marriage I witnessed, and this is what I expected. Now again, if anybody here has grown up in an LDS culture, you know marriage is what you aim for. It's what you strive for. It is your goal as a person, as a woman. Your goal is to get married and to have a family. And because I grew up witnessing a beautiful, loving marriage, I was all for it. I got married at the ripe old age of 22. I thought I was old. My husband was 24. I thought he was old. We waited a couple years to have kids, but when we did, we had them. I had four, ages five and under. 10 out of 10, do not recommend. <laughs> now that they're a little older, I can say I love them to pieces. I don't know how I survived those younger years, but now that they're teenagers, they are my lifeline. But imagine my surprise when I woke up one day and realized that my marriage wasn't beautiful. It was hard and it was painful. And one of us was doing our very best to support the other one, but the other one wasn't willing to return the favor. But again, I grew up in a culture where you stayed married. You did, you just stayed married. I told my therapist this, who was also a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and he said to me, Katie, as a therapist, I cannot 
emphasize this strongly enough, staying married is not always the best choice. And that was the moment I felt I had the freedom to leave. Now, I've been single for a while, and I probably will be for a while more. I have these four beautiful kids I'm trying to raise. I'm busy. I don't really want to jump back into something that didn't work out for me in the first place, but I kind of think eventually I will, because even though I don't necessarily believe in the institution of marriage, I do believe in love, and I do want to hope that I can have this beautiful thing that my parents have nourished over the years, because there are people out there that have it. So keep your fingers crossed for me. That's all I got. Thank you. Wow, holding it down for the Jack Mormon single moms. Yeah. Like a heavy hitter in the first act. I love that. Um, Katie didn't say which of the partners wasn't supporting whom, but I think we can all probably tell. Based on that. Thank you for telling your story. All right, I am so stoked to welcome your first featured storyteller of the night. This is her second time as a featured storyteller. The first time was for our flagship season in the show Coming of Age. Please join me in welcoming Elizabeth. I really wasn't expecting it when my girlfriend proposed. She told me she loved me and how wonderful I was, that she wanted to spend the rest of her life with me. She wanted to be a parent to my children. And that was really important because I was in the gynecologist's office with my feet in the stirrups, <laughs> waiting for a doctor to come in with some sperm because I was trying to get pregnant. So I cried, and I said yes. But it was 2003, and same-sex marriage was not legal anywhere in this country. So we had to figure out how to get married when marriage wasn't legal. But first, we went out to buy rings, because she hadn't purchased a ring, and kudos to everyone in all those jewelry stores we went to. Nobody batted an eye as she asked me which engagement ring did I want, and we purchased one. So then we started down the how do we get married, and some stuff was regular, what everyone does, and some was a little different. The beginning was the everyday stuff. Called the rabbi. Would he perform our wedding? Yes, absolutely. He'd like to meet with us, do some pre-wedding counseling, asked us to tell him about each other, what do we know, what are our hopes, what are our dreams. We met a couple times. He asked us what kind of wedding would we like. Could we have a traditional Jewish wedding but take out the gender stuff? And he said, absolutely, we could do that. So we decided we'd get married at our synagogue. We'd have our reception in the social hall. We had friends who agreed to cater our wedding brunch for us. We sent out invitations. Traditional Jewish weddings take place under a wedding canopy called a chuppah. 
So in every invitation we sent out, we put in a one-foot square piece of fabric, and we asked everyone invited to decorate the piece of fabric and send it back to us a month before our wedding. And these would be sewn together to make a canopy of love to support us on our journey. Then we decided it would be really important to have the same last name. We knew that if I gave birth to a child, my wife would have no legal standing with this child. And we thought at least if we all had the same last name, that would be a bit of protection, a few less questions. When you get married, legally, it's a free pass to change your name. We couldn't do that, so we had to go to court. We filled out our paperwork. We said we wanted ourselves and our children to have the same last name. We filed it. It was published in the Idaho Press newspaper for four weeks. We went to court on the same day. We had different judges. My wife's judge granted her name change, no questions. My judge said, we would be trying to present ourselves as a married couple, and that wasn't legal. So he denied the name change. In the state of Idaho, the only reasons you can deny a name change is if the person is trying to commit fraud or would in some way be causing injury to others with their last name. A couple days later, we received a letter in the mail. My judge had told my wife's judge to rescind his order. We were back to the start, minus $800. But we were determined. So we rented a room from some friends in Boise and started the whole process over again. This time, we were less than honest on our paperwork. I had undergone a major life change and needed to mark my new merit, my new self. My wife was converting to Judaism, and so she needed a new last name. <laughs> oh, we need a new last name. Was it going to be her name? Was it going to be my name? We didn't want to do that. Emerson, Hanson, we couldn't quite decide. So one day we had a lunch date. We took our names, we cut all the letters apart, and we rearranged them. <laughs> well, you could do Emerson, and instead of S-O-N, you could do the S-E-N from Hanson. Or we could do Hanson with the S-O-N. Or it got very complicated, and we really didn't like what was happening. We rewrote the syllables. And after a couple tries, two syllables from my last name, one syllable from her last name, and my wife-to-be filled out her paperwork with her new Jewish last name of Saunerson. <laughs> but this time, no problem. The judges granted our name changes. Next step, lawyers. When you are legally married, you and your spouse have rights. Your spouse has rights to inherit. If you are injured and in the hospital, your spouse has rights 
to make decisions for you, to come visit you. You have protections for your children. We weren't going to have those. So we met with lawyers. We wrote up wills, powers of attorney, spent more money, made a lot of copies and sent it to our families so everybody was on the same page. We at least were lucky in that regard because our families were supportive and no one was going to question it should something bad happen. I carried that paperwork in my wallet for 10 years. Time is passing. I've been trying to get pregnant. It's not working. We decide we're going to get our foster care license because we want children. Strangely, the foster care system did not care at all that we were a same-sex couple. They are desperate for foster parents. Um, so we started that, and I was sewing my own dress. It was beautiful. The silver gray satin, it had a sheer overlay, it had ribbons down the front with little pearls just offset from the front, absolutely gorgeous. I finished the dress the Wednesday before our wedding and I put it on and I hated it. <laughs> Absolute meltdown. That ribbon and pearls were not just slightly offset from center. They were centered on my boob. <laughs> they went right down my left breast. That sheer overlay opened right over my breast. I felt like I was going to be walking down the aisle going, look at my boob, look at my boob. My wife-to-be was wonderful. She said, take it off, get in the car. We will go shopping. I will buy you whatever dress you want. Sunday morning came. We went to Catherine Albertson Park. We took pictures. We went up to the synagogue. We walked ourselves down the aisle. My wife-to-be was wearing a beautiful brocade jacket. I was wearing a red prom dress from the Boise Town Square Mall. <laughs> Fast forward a month, the foster care system gave us a little boy to foster. We adopted him the following year, and my wife gave, gave birth to our second child. Nine years later, same-sex marriage was legal in Washington State. We were going to Seattle because it was my parents' 50th wedding anniversary, and we were going on a family trip to celebrate their wedding anniversary. We decided it would be a great time to get legally married. So on our drive out to the coast, we stopped in Pacific City, Washington, tiny town, 1,200 people, and we got our, wedding our marriage license. The people were so nice. We were probably the first same-sex couple to come in and get a marriage license, but they, everybody was so happy for us. This time around, there was no pomp and circumstance. There was no meltdown over a dress. We met a Unitarian minister on the pier in Seattle, 
My parents are family of four. She said a few words. She told us that marriage was a chance to be a witness to somebody else's life and to have somebody else witness your life. And then she signed a paper. Our son and my mother were the witnesses. Our youngest blew some bubbles. <laughs> and after our 10-year anniversary, we were legally married. Elizabeth Saunerson. I forgot to mention this before. I think everybody's getting um, caught as you go over there. But if you come up and tell a story, make sure that you head over to the Slammer booth and sign our release. Um, I love that so far the only like positive marriage we've, story we've heard has been gay. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> That's the only kind of marriage that will work. Um, um, we are gonna, we're gonna take a little brief intermission, um, but before we do that, I think the Boise Arts and Economy, are we doing that? We're not doing that. Nope, never mind. Um, okay, so we know where the bathrooms are, right? <laughs> like, you're gonna head out this store, down past the old pen, and you'll see them on the left. Remember, we close the front doors. Um, feel free to go and visit Sam and his crew from the VAC who are um, supporting our bar. And we'll see you back here in about 10 or 15 minutes for a featured song from the Boise Gay Men's Chorus. Thank you. Yeah. All right, just a PSA for everybody. Um, there is a little tiny frog over here, so... Please be careful when walking. Be mindful when walking. There are tiny, adorable little frogs in this grass. Um, <laughs> um, Kelly Kay asked me if I wanted to be surrounded by handsome men, and I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so... <laughs> so I am um, so excited. If you guys were here last year, you know we had, like, it, this is different. Um, <laughs> we just had like one, you know, one person playing a keyboard and some funky tunes. Um, so it's so awesome. It's such a miracle to have you all here tonight. Um, please join me in welcoming for their featured song, the Boise Gay Men's Chorus. Oh my. 
in there. I'm gonna hear him. <laughs> I kind of want an encore later. Can we have an encore later? Do you guys have one more song in there? I guess. <laughs> we'll take it. I'll take it. Um, okay. Uh, we ready for our uh, next feature? Or uh, Sorry, no. Our, um, a slammer. A slammer. You ready? Thank you. <laughs> Stop trying to cheat. I'm not gonna cheat. Oh, oh! I didn't cheat, but it was the outcome that was desired. Um, but I can't read this. Walls? Wally. Wally! Hi everyone, my name's Wally. Uh, sorry, I wasn't really thinking I was gonna come and talk, but since there were some openings, I thought I'd take an advantage and tell some stories. As a trigger warning, anyone that might be sensitive to sex, slavery, genocide, rape, this might be hard for you. For any Christians in the audience, no big deal, they're just Bible stories. So, <laughs> you'll love them. So, with all the Christian nationalist movement going on, especially here in Idaho, there's a lot of conversation about putting women back in the kitchen, gays back in the closet, this whole, you know, kind of traditional marriage idea where we have one man, one woman, heterosexual, monogamous relationships, and they say this is traditional, this is God's way, which is confusing. I grew up Mormon, shout out to ex-Mormon, there we go. Not Jack, I'm ex-Mormon, very different. Um, anyway, so in the Bible, you have some very significant figures. If you've ever heard of Abraham, he had uh, what's called concubines. In today's age, we would call those sex slaves. Um, I don't understand why Christians are so hung up on this idea of, you know, one man and one woman. Abraham had tons of women. He had uh, his sex slave he actually had a kid with and threw out. He had a grandson named Jacob. Uh, Jacob had, uh, same thing, many wives, uh, many um, daughters as well. The one that we know about, named Dinah, 
uh, was actually raped, and he started to arrange Dinah's uh, marriage to the rapist as a property exchange, as well as um, kind of a kingdom uniter, right? So he was doing some political moves, which I also thought was kind of interesting because um, you have this concept or idea in Christianity now that you know women are equal, women get free choice or whatever, but you definitely can see in the history how much they are used as property, how much they are silenced, how much they you know, have kind of their, their role. Uh, fortunately for Dinah, her brothers were mass murderers, and so they killed the rapist, his father, the whole kingdom. It worked out really well for Dinah. She didn't end up having to get married to uh, the rapist. Um, so that worked out. And those are uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. So same guys, I don't know if you know Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream coat. Those brothers, the one that tried to kill their brother and then they sold him into slavery or whatever, same guys. Those are the, those are the guys that killed uh, Dinah's rapist. Um, but then you see other stories as well throughout history. You guys know Henry VIII. He wanted to get a divorce. The Catholic Church was like, no, you can't get a divorce. And so he wanted to start his own religion. And the reason he wanted to get a divorce was because his wife couldn't bear him any sons. Another interesting thing, why didn't God tell the Pope, oh, wait, it's not the woman that decides the sex. It's the guy. I don't know. God is mysterious. Very odd way. I'm just kidding. There is no God. He's not mysterious. <laughs> um, Anyway, so when we look at the, the history of marriage and traditional marriage, it, it, it's so weird, it's so odd. And now that we have science and we know who determines sex and we know all these other things, we can actually look back even further than you know, silly stories that are found in, in the Bible. We can now look at our DNA. We can see that we are actually apes. We have relationships to our closest living relative, chimpanzees. We can see in their history how violent they are, how kind of male dominated they are, how oppressive they are. We now have the ability to say, I don't want to be like my cousins. I don't want to be like these people, we are different now. We can choose to treat people equally. We can choose to treat women better than we've treated in the past. So we can do that today because we have this amazing thing called a brain. And uh, anyway, that's it. Thanks, everyone. What? Brains? Us? No. Um, well, thank you. That was interesting. I hope we, um, <laughs> I, like, if anybody is Christian and against the zoning code update, I'm <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> that was a really interesting lesson and fascinating. Um, the, uh, we are going for more personal stories. I was waiting for you to turn that like, like wife, rapist, something, and, 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 and I want to hear more about um, the difference between ex-Mormonism and Jack Mormon. Um, I had to resist the temptation to Google it on my phone. Um, so just keep that in mind moving forward. We're looking for personal stories, stories that are yours. Um, as we move forward. Um, and on that note, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm so happy to bring up your second featured storyteller of the evening. Um, he is a part of our Gay Men's Chorus tonight. Please join me in welcoming Michael Zabel.
Are you guys ready for another LDS story? <laughs> I'm just kidding, that's only a little part of this story. <laughs> so a little over two weeks ago, I had the honor of officiating my niece's wedding. It was my first time officiating. And the same week of the wedding, I found out that we were invited here tonight to sing for Story Story Night, our chorus was. And as my friends and family know, I love Story Story Night. And I've never had the courage to get up here and tell my own story. But when I found out that the theme of the night was going to be marriage, it was like the universe was pointing right at me and saying, this is your moment, take it or leave it. So for the second time within a month, I'm standing up in front of an audience and I am answering that call. So it was difficult for me to agree to officiate my niece's wedding, not just because of my fear of public speaking, but also because when I was her age, Marriage was not a right that was granted to me as a gay man. And if I had been afforded the same rights that so many married American couples take for granted, it would have changed my future. I was 24 years old when I met the love of my life, Vincent Dubois. It was the fall of 2008. I was living in San Francisco, and I was out one night at one of my favorite bars, Badlands, when I spotted the most gorgeous man I had ever seen. He had beautiful, thick brown hair, gorgeous brown eyes framed in designer glasses, a captivating smile, and his style was impeccable. I could not keep my eyes off of him, and I told myself that I could not leave the bar that night without getting his number first. Now, I'm a very shy guy, especially around gorgeous men. So instead of approaching him, I approached one of the girls he was with first. Girls are so much easier to talk to than boys. <laughs> her name was Deborah. She was from Germany, and her and her French friends, Vince and Kelly, were in San Francisco for an English language program. That explained Vince's impeccable style. He was European. I told Deborah how handsome I found her friend, and she encouraged me to talk to him. So I finally did. His French accent was irresistible. Vince and I were like two magnets that once within range of each other, we snapped together in a grip that was not easily broken. After that night, we were inseparable. I fell in love with Vince's adventurous spirit, with his beautifully creative mind and his gentle loving heart. Vince indulged in romance freely and without shame. Our, our, our chemistry was undeniable and our hunger for one another was insatiable. We didn't have sex, we made love. Beautiful love and lots of beautiful love. Um, so Vince was in the US on a student visa that would be expiring in a couple months. Our, our romance had an expiration date but we were too blissfully in love to acknowledge it. Before we knew it, the expiration date came and he had to go back to France. We clung to each other at the airport until the very last minute, unsure of what we would do next, but certain that we belonged together. I got Vince's permission to read the love letter that he wrote to me when he first got back to France, and keep in mind that English is his second language. Mon amour, as you can imagine, I feel really sad. I had cried a lot, and I will cry a lot. I feel like I have made the biggest mistake of my life by leaving you alone in San Francisco. I didn't left you, I just left the United States. But I feel so sad. 
I miss you so much. We are far from each other since something like 24 hours, but it's like eternity. I have your black shirt and I can smell your odor, your perfume. I keep it on my heart and I take a deep breath in it to remember your body. I feel lucky because I have photos and videos of you, your smile, your voice, your first steps in the French language are captured and printed forever. Of course, I have my memories, which are more important than everything. Now I feel like I should have said, now I feel like I should have kissed you more, hugged you more, have you more, and said a lot more often that I love you. This is just three simple words, but I should have said them more and more, I love you. I feel so sad to be in France. I was thinking that I'll be happy to see them, but I just feel sad to be so far from your arms. I really wish that you'll be able to come in France. I want to show you my world, my home, as if I feel that San Francisco is my home now. No, in fact, I feel like you are my home now. I love you, Michael Zabel. I love you. You are the man of my dreams. You are my prince. You are the perfect guy for me. I feel it. I don't know what will happen next. I don't know which tricks life reserves to us. Who knows? Maybe you won't come. Maybe we'll, we will be tired to be far from each other. But come what may, you are the most beautiful person I have ever met. You are just incredible. The outside is as beautiful as the inside. You are a great human being, Michael Zabel. Never change. It is not a goodbye, it's just what I feel right now. I really hope to see you as soon as possible, as soon as our bank allow one or the other to travel. I feel tired now, it's 20 after four San Francisco hours, and I hadn't really slept since we woke up together on Sunday morning. So I'll end this letter now. I'll say, goodbye, mon coeur, je t'aime mon amour. I'll dream of your arms, your cold hands, and your hot body. <laughs> je t'aime, Vince. I did make it to France, and Vince got to show me his world and his home. We crossed the Atlantic Ocean many times to be together. We, and when we weren't together, we continued writing love letters, and we called as often as we could. We really worked hard for our love. Every dollar and euro we saved went to travel. We didn't have a lot of options. To get a tourist visa, you had to prove your financial independence and that you have the funds for the, amount of, for the entire time you're in the other country. To get a student visa, you had to pay tuition, and both of us were already swimming in student debt at that point. And to get a marriage visa, you had to be marrying somebody of the opposite sex. Gay marriage was illegal in both of our countries. Our love was not worthy of marriage. The year that Vince and I met, there was an initiative on the California ballot called Proposition 8. If passed, it would ban gay marriage in California. One of the biggest contributors to the Proposition 8 campaign was the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the religion that I was raised in, the religion that taught me the virtues and value of family, that taught me that families were forever, was actively campaigning to ensure that I would not have the right to create my own family. Proposition 8 passed, and it was devastating. It wouldn't have made a difference for Vince and I. We needed marriage to be recognized federally in order for us to get a visa. But knowing that a state like California could pass such an intolerant law made us feel hopeless. But we didn't give up. In 2009, there was a bill before Congress called the Uniting American Families Act. It would amend the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1952 to allow permanent partners and same-sex relationships to 
obtain permanent residency. I wrote to countless Congress members pleading for their support of the bill. I only got one letter back. It was from Nancy Pelosi. Everybody knows who she is, right? She promised her support of the bill and wished Vince and I luck. The bill died in the House and in the Senate. It was reintroduced in 2011 and it died again. But our love didn't die. And for years, we maintained our long distance relationship. We remained faithful to one another and we cultivated our relationship better than most of the married couples we knew cultivated theirs. But in the eyes of our countries, we were not worthy of marriage and we were not even worthy of being together permanently. And after many years of all the hard work we had to do, all of the pleading we had to do just to be treated equally, took its toll on us and we made the difficult decision to use our scarce resources to grow separately instead of wasting them on our hopeless relationship. In 2013, gay marriage became legal in France and it finally became legal in the United States in 2015. By that time, both Vince and I were on our own separate journeys. We were still friends, we still loved each other, but we had both moved on. We still call each other on our birthdays and wish each other a bon anniversaire and we talk at Christmas and wish each other a joyeux Noël and a bonne année at, at New Year's. We check in on each other's families and we share our, our important accomplishments and all of our failures in dating. And then after many years of this, we realize that we may never find anybody that we connect with the way we connect with each other. Now that gay marriage is finally legal in both of our countries, maybe we should give our love a second chance. It's now 2019, over 10 years since we first met. I've moved back to Boise and I bought a house and we decide that Vince will come and stay with me the next summer and if there's still a spark, we will get married and finally, officially, be together. Vince buys his plane ticket to Boise. I work on getting my house and my garden ready for him. We plan on going to San Francisco Pride and reliving our young romance in the city we met. I book us a hotel right at Civic Center, right where all of the Pride festivities will be happening. And Vince plans on taking me to Badlands and proposing to me in the very bar that we met in. And then the COVID-19 pandemic happens. Opera Leone, where Vince works in the costume department, cancels the rest of their season and Vince is out of work and living on a government stimulus. Eventually his flight to the US is canceled and he's forced to use the, re the refund to live off, as off of as well. San Francisco Pride is canceled and our summer of love never happens. It was life's last little trick that it had reserved for us. At first it was politics telling us that we didn't belong together and then it was the universe telling us that we didn't belong together. And this time we had to listen. It was a hit to our love that we both knew we couldn't overcome. It's been almost 15 years since I met the man of my dreams. I can't help but wonder where I would be today if I had the right to marry that man back then. I know that we would have had a successful marriage. I know that we would have been great husbands to one another. And I know that we would have pursued our most ambitious dreams together. I'm not gonna lie, there was some bitterness when I agreed to officiate my niece's wedding. I would have to stand up in front of LDS family members and speak about the virtues of marriage despite the church's efforts to deny me of it. But I'm proud of myself for doing it because my niece and my now nephew-in-law are worthy of marriage and Vince is worthy 
of marrying the man he is now in love with. And I, too, am worthy of marriage. Happy Pride, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. As you were telling that story, I just wanted Vince to come parachuting in from France. <laughs> or somebody for you. Thank you for telling that story. I hope in a year or two, or who knows, maybe sooner, you'll be telling a different story up here. Um, that would be lovely. Um, okay, let's, let's get another slammer up here. Any suggestions? <laughs> okay. David. David, yay. Another member of the Rainbows, David. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay, um, this is going to be hard following that act. <laughs> Mine doesn't have such a great story. Um, Mormon here. <laughs> Are we seeing a trend? <laughs> so, yeah. Being a Mormon, for guys, your first goal in life is to serve a mission. Go out to proselyte, for the church. I served a mission. Even though I had these funny feelings going on, and I didn't have the bravery to say anything about it because I didn't think it was their business. So I just said, great, yeah, I'm worthy. I'm going to go. Until um, they sent me to San Francisco. <laughs> Um, again, you know, San Francisco, hey. <laughs> um, so who converted who? Um, so there's, there's that. Then once you finish your mission, your next goal, find that wife. Right away. I mean, within the first year that you're home. So after a couple years, I'm falling, once I'm watching all my friends get engaged, get married, and I'm the last one, kind of went into a deep depression. Um, until I finally, with my Spanish that I learned on the mission, um, got a job at Southwest Airlines. So, airline employees, majority, are gay. <laughs> and so, when I saw these people, and, and they were funny, they were great friends, they hadn't the care in the world, I thought, yeah, I think I can do that. Um, meanwhile, years later, um, 
I went on a website called manhunt.com. This is before Grindr, before Scruff, before all that kind of stuff. And found somebody. We hooked up and so we got together. <laughs> you don't need all the details. Um, so we ended up um, staying together. Um, he was from Brazil, kind of the same story. Um, so we had been together for about eight years, and um, once President Obama, who was sent from God, had announced that it was the that gay marriage was federally recognized, we made an appointment to go over to Seattle. We're living in Utah um, to get married and spoke to the clerk. We had to get there at a certain time. You have to be there like four days before to get your license and then get married. Um, I told the clerk, we're coming from Utah and we're kind of on a strict schedule because we have to get back. And he's like, oh, you're coming from Utah. Give me just a second. <laughs> he was gay. <laughs> I, um, and he said, you know, the judge has a special place in her heart for those that are seeking marriage from Utah. <laughs> so she went out of her way to marry us outside of her working hours. So the Honorable Mary Yu, I'm not kidding, that was her name. She was the first Latina, Filipina, lesbiana judge in Washington, who is now in the state Supreme Court. She was so wonderful. She was just the best that we could, and it makes a great marriage story. Now comes the yucky part. So <clears throat> this was both of our kind of serious relationships his first relationship. He was not out. Um, he was a trainer in the missionary training center in Brazil when he was there. So in Utah, most of the missionaries there, a good percentage, like 80%, they all went to Brazil. So we couldn't go to a grocery store, we couldn't go to the mall, without him seeing somebody that he knew. Which meant once he's like, oh, I know that guy. That gave me the cue to walk away <laughs> um, because he, didn't, he wasn't going to explain who I was. Um, that's just one 
part of it. Uh, also being Brazil, from Brazil, they have a high sex drive. <laughs> and, you know, I was continually on antidepressants, anti-anxiety, so I didn't put out as much as I probably should have. Um, so he went looking other places. And I decided for myself that I would just ignore it. Um, until after years, and we've, he's still my roommate now, just to let you know. Um, so uh, we moved here to Boise after living in Utah, Washington, came back here, because I grew up here, and um, go Capitol Eagles. Um, so, we came here, and I was feeling a little down, so I thought, I'm not going to go to work. I'm just going to call in, whatever. What does a gay guy do when he's home alone? <laughs> it's not a quiz. It's, we look at porn. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, it's not difficult. It's, that's what we do. Um, so I find this one little video clip, whatever. So I'm looking, and I see one of the guys, and I was like, oh, yeah, he's hot and stuff. And it's, it's a massage theme, whatever. So there's the guy on the table. There's the masseuse, whatever. Until I start looking closer, and the masseuse no, no, no. has a very familiar tattoo on his shoulder. And I know it's recent, because he was wearing a tank top that I bought him. <laughs> so I thought, mm, okay. I said, you really think I'm stupid that I wouldn't find that? <laughs> so, I wish I had a better happy ending on that. <laughs> but I didn't. So, um, So what, I guess what I'm up here trying to say is, so we've just filed for divorce, finally. <laughs> After 18 years, we were together. Um, I think, and this is just my opinion, on the gay side, we were so wanting that, and I did. I wanted to have that same thing that my parents had, that my five siblings had. Um, but getting caught up in that rush, thinking that I could have something like they did, was probably getting ahead of myself. And a gay marriage, completely different than a regular heteronormative relationship and that was something that I just didn't even realize or expect um, 
So, great for those that make it and that are happy and that have that unconditional love. I'm totally jealous of Michael, but it's not for everybody and not for me anymore. So, sorry for the downer. Oh my God, I'm a heavy downer. There you go, thanks. David, we love Debbie Downers here. <laughs> really into it. In fact, I hope the next story slammer makes me cry too. <laughs> but seriously, thank you for telling that story, David. That's a, a very intimate story and yeah, it takes a lot of courage to get up here and tell a story like that. Uh, and man, you're just like, oh, so worthy of love and everything that you do want, okay? That's all I wanna say. All right, let's do one more story slammer. One more story slammer. Jono. Jono. Yeah. That, that works. Well, hello everybody. Bunch of beautiful people out there. So my name is John, and I'm, I'm straight and in a traditional marriage. So it's only two times in my life I ever felt like a minority. The other, <laughs> the other time was in Jack London Square in Oakland, California when I was a teenager. And then, you know, here. But so I met my wife when I was 16. We we're high school sweethearts, married for 31 years. All right. Thank you, thank you. How we met, so my dad, I, I was just me and my dad that lived in an apartment in uh, California, and when he would go on his business trips, I would impersonate him and add features to our, our phone, like I would get three-way calling. And then, <laughs> so I had a friend, his name was Joaquin. I was like, hey Joaquin, I got three-way calling, who do you wanna call? Hey, let's call my girlfriend in Washington. So she's living in Washington State. I called her, or I, I dialed the number. You know back when you used to have to pick up a phone and you had a receiver and a dial tone and all that stuff? Right? Well, you, you flash it, it goes bum, 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 dial the new number, flash it again, and we're all talking, right? So Linda gets on the phone, she's like, hello, Linda, and, and then she's like, yeah. I was like, hold on one sec. Flip it over, Joaquin? 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 He dropped off the line. Like, I know my technology. I know I didn't, I flashed it right. He just left us two hanging there. And I was like, hey, you know Joaquin's supposed to be on the line with us? And, and she's like, oh, well, hmm. So tell me about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so I told her about myself. She had a friend, so I was, um, she used to live in California and moved to Washington State. I used to live in Washington State, moved to California. Along the way, somewhere we crossed paths. So, um, her friend got in a car accident, right? And um, she, couldn't, she, she couldn't remember anything, so they were like, well, bring your old childhood friend to help you bring back your memories or whatever. I think it was a doctor or whoever suggested childhood friends bring back her memories. She comes down to visit, and then she comes to see me. We headed off, like, really headed off. Um, 
I, I honestly think today that Joaquin had set us up. But um, yeah, so we went to you know Marriott's Great America. I think it's now it's California's Great America. I made the first move. I grabbed her hand, and then you know the, after that it was like I think I kissed her in the hot tub at a friend's house. And so, long story. Yeah, <laughs> can you tell I'm a little bit nervous up here sharing the story? Just a little bit. Um, and then you know she's. Back there, my, my sister wife is the one that encouraged me to uh, come share the story. I, I am Christian, and, and sh- all right, so, but, but you know, she, she needed a husband, and I was there. I'm, I'm, I'm a husband. I fix things around the house. Um, what was I going to say? Okay, yeah. So married 30 years. We have three girls. And ideally, we're, when we were talking about getting married, so first we did this whole frolicking thing, and, and um we went to Scandia, did some miniature golf and all that. And one night, she, I think she actually proposed to me because this is when we're still 16-year-olds. She proposed to me and was like, um, hey, I know how we could stay together. I was like, how? Well, we could get married. I was like, okay. And then, <laughs> so she moved to Washington. I got her a promise ring. She went back to Washington. I stayed in California. We managed a long-distance relationship for the longest time. I had to get a job to pay for the phone bill. I think it was like... a month at the time for those long distance calls. For a 16 year old, that's a lot of money. I think my dad was pissed at me like every day. Um, But whatever, we're still together. And so, um, yeah, so let's let's fast forward 20 years. All throughout high school, um, anytime a girl, anybody would proposition me, I was like, oh, I have a a girlfriend. Uh, She lives in Washington State. They're like, oh, okay. Right? It, 20 years later, this is how I'm going to relate to, to Pride Month. 20 years later, we go to my high school class reunion, and I bring my wife Linda with me. And they're like, oh, your girlfriend is real. <laughs> we just thought you were gay. <laughs> At first, I was like, wait, what? Uh, I'm okay. I mean, you think I have great style too? I mean, this, <laughs> not really offended, but uh, okay. But no, this is, this is my girlfriend. 30 years later, we have nine, well, three girls, nine grandchildren, uh, actually eight grandchildren and one on the way. Yeah. So here to represent the traditional marriage, um, <laughs> We're here. Some some exist. We're very happily married. We still. I mean, when we were str- we struggled, but we 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 made it. So thanks. For, let me tell my story. All right. Well, we can't end on a happy straighty story. Uh uh-uh. No. Just like a traditional hetero a hetero marriage, that one was kind of boring. I'm sorry. <laughs> Give me sad, I'll take it. Let's get the slammer out of here one more time. <laughs> Coming up here talking about your 30 years of happy marriage. Good for you, John. Good for you. Grandkids. I could have grandkids. <laughs> the sex was great too, he said. Well, is it still? Just kidding. (laughs) He's like, yeah, that's why you're so happy. Well, congratulations. Okay. 
Um, EB. EB. The letters E and the letters B. Is that you? All right. Join us in welcoming EB. You're not Christian, are you? I'm not Christian. I'm not XLDS. I'm, I'm actually born and raised atheist. Wally is my brother-in-law, and I assure you, his story was very personal as an ex-Mormon. Okay, so I'm gonna tell this story, and I hope that my aunt forgives me. She's not here. She has not given me permission to tell this story. Um, and her name was Elizabeth, too. My name is Elizabeth. Um, growing up, I come, we come from a long line of heteronormative marriage, marriage, marriages. My grand, both my sets of grandparents were married, never divorced. Although we did find out after they died that they were swingers, which was kind of cool. Um, I've been married for almost 20 years. But growing up, um, I had a gay aunt in San Francisco. And her partner was very masculine. And I remember as a kid, always asking my dad, Dad, I mean, I was like four. I can't remember, is Jerry a boy or a girl? And my dad would say, well, she is a girl, but she's married to your aunt, or they're not married, but it's your aunt's partner. Anyway, as I got older, my aunt was my coolest aunt. She was so cool. Um, and she would always tell us that when we got old enough, she would tell us her stories. And we would always ask her, are we old enough? Are we old enough? And she's like, nah, you're not old enough. And so I'm 46. Last year, my sister and I decided we are old enough. And we are going to get her drunk. So she has to tell us these stories. So we got her real drunk. And we were like, Today's, tonight's the night. You're going to tell us some stories. And I will tell you, my mom, oh, this is a nice little, my parents have been dating since eighth grade. And so my mom, is my dad's sister, but my mom knows, has known my aunt for a long time. And she told, tells us one story all the time where she was coming home from my dad's house and um, the FBI pulled her over and asked if she knew my aunt because she was wanted by the FBI. Turns out she was dating a man who was wanted for the bombings at the Washington State campus that were uh, also, like, at the same time, the bombings are on all the campuses to, um, for the Vietnam War. Anyway, so we kind of knew that she was kind of naughty. Um, anyway, so she gets to telling us about her story. And it starts off by she left my grandparents' house and moved to LA. And she goes, yeah, well, I got there, and I immediately met these two people, and I fell in love with them, and we all moved in together, and we were a thruple. We were like, holy shit. And she's like, oh yeah, we slept in the same bed, it was one bed apartment, like we were a couple, and so Emily and I were like, oh, this is so cool, like, oh my gosh, so cool. And then she's like, oh yeah, did I ever tell you I was married? Oh, are there any federal agents in the audience? Because I think the statute of limitation has, has gone, is, has expired, but she's like, hey, did I ever tell you that I was married to a man? We literally had never heard, in fact, I asked my mom, like, did you know that? She's like, no. She married a Swede because he needed a green card. And then she's like, totally put my, my life on the line. And then he got it. And then he left a couple years later back to Sweden. She's like, I was so pissed. We're like, oh my God, so cool. Anyway, so then 
so then we're like, so she starts telling us about her now partner, Jerry. And she moved to San Francisco and met her partner, Jerry. And this is the only partner that we've known since you know our whole lives that my aunt's been with. And she starts telling us about Jerry. And Jerry is 10 years older than my, my aunt. And so in the 60s, she did what every woman does. You leave high school and you get married to your sweetheart. You have babies. And then she realizes that she wants to come out. She doesn't want to lead this pretend life. Her husband tells her that he's totally cool with it. They get a divorce. They decide how they're going to uh, split the kids and, and, and raise the kids together, but separately. And she walks into the court and the judge is pissed because she's got pants on. And in the 60s, women don't wear pants. And she has disrespected his courtroom. He knows what she's, who she is and what she is. And he tells her she cannot have her children unless she goes through shock therapy. And she spends six months going back, going to shock therapy, back and forth. He puts her back into shock therapy which on a side note is incredible what mothers will do for their children. And she endured that until she convinced them that she was straight and they gave her joint custody of her children. Anyway, this is in St. Louis. Um, so then she moves to San Francisco, meets my aunt. And you know, I, as my aunt's telling me this, these stories and ask these stories, I think about the fact that you know, my aunt was never able, she was never able to tell her parents. They always, well, she told them, but they denied it and just would always introduce Jerry as my aunt's roommate. And so, you know, here's my, my grandparents' generation that just refused to accept her partnership and her lifelong decision to be with this woman. Um, and they, they all died without acknowledging that this was her, her love and her, you know, her partner. Anyway, fast forward, um, Jerry, they, they actually moved from San Francisco to Seattle. Then they end up about six years ago moving to Boise, back to Boise, or to Boise. And uh, Jerry starts having um, signs of dementia. And here's this woman who has spent her entire life justifying her relationship, justifying her partnership, and now she, and have, having no support except for, you know, our family, but grandparents, you know, all, all of society not really accepting their relationship. And she becomes her full-time caregiver, and uh, May, May 4th this year, or just a couple months, a month ago, she passed away, Jerry passed away, and I just started thinking about, you know, the fact that here all we are, you know, heteros, we, like our marriages are never questioned and, and our loyalties are never questioned. And it's just, you're, we're just given a free pass. And here's this woman who's like fought for everything and is now having to watch her partner and her wife, you know, just devolve into to nothing. And uh, I just thought it was, a, a commentary or I, I don't know I just I don't even know how necessarily to end this other than you know it's just they deserved better than that and everybody deserves better than that to do whatever what the hell they want 
Um, and whether you want to get married or not get married. And uh, it just, I mean, she's now passed on and my aunt has very fond memories of her. But when I think about it, it does make me sad for how hard she had to fight for it. So. Well, I don't know about you, but my takeaway from that story was, ugh, St. Louis. <laughs> What's your aunt's name? Elizabeth, that's right. Oh yeah, that's also my name. Um, yeah, um, we should have gotten her for this. <laughs> this that would have been awesome. Um, thank you for sharing your story. You know, the, the, these are really important because we're recording this on our podcast and we're like, we're delivering an, like an oral, history here um, that is going to go on record and so this is pretty monumental um, so thank you for all the people that shared your stories tonight um, and uh, thank you guys for coming out and listening and bearing witness to that I uh, appreciate you if you would like to share these stories uh, we have them on iTunes SoundCloud Stitcher um, and you can go to storystorynight.org and um, we also have a radio show on Radio Boise called Stray Theater that's on Sundays at 5 um, so feel free to Go on there, share the stories um, if you liked them. Uh, we'll have photos from tonight. They'll be available on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, please give a round of applause and a big thank you to our photographer, Christina Birkenbein. A round of applause to our choir's artistic director, Kelly Kay. As she mentioned, the um, Boise Gay Men's Choir and I believe the Women's Choir, right, is doing a show this Saturday, 7 p.m. at Boise State. Um, so go ahead and come, come and check that out. Um, um, -da -da what else? Um, oh, big, big round of applause for uh, the Boise Gay Men's Choir chorus. Thank you. I think we have time to like close out with a song. Would that be okay if we do that? Okay, I'm just gonna do. I'm just gonna do a couple more little thank yous. I'm just gonna go through these really quick. Um, thank you to the Public Funds for the Arts, the Idaho Commission on the Arts, and thank you to the Idaho State Legislature for supporting this very pro-gay night. Um, and the National Endowment of the Arts. Thank you to our technical director and podcast engineer, Stephen Baldessari. Uh, thank you to our volunteers tonight and our volunteer coordinator, Natalia DeJosia. Thank you, yeah, Natalia. Thank you to Jody Eichelberger, our producing um, artistic director. Thank you to the prison walls and the old pen. <laughs> and, and the frogs and the vac for hosting our bar. And let's hear it one more time for the Boise Gay Men's Chorus. Thank you for listening. Story Story Night is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise. Our theme song was composed by Ned Abbott. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessari. Please rate and review this podcast to help other story lovers find us. Thanks to host Beth Norton and musical guest, the Boise Gay Men's Chorus. Support this podcast by texting STORYPOD to 44321. Find out how to participate in our live show at www.storystorynight.org or visit us on Facebook. I'm Jody Eichelberger. Thanks for being a part of our story.